We're going to read God's Word together, and first of all from the Gospel, from the Gospel of John chapter 13, these words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to Him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Jesus replied, No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those that have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And, what, and that was why he did not see every one of them was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Then we read from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, these words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Amen. And thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray. We pause on this day and we look for You. We hear Your Word 
and we listen for you. We need your presence and we thirst for you. By your Spirit, fill us, Lord, we ask of you. Amen. As you can imagine, what I was planning to preach on today is lying on the study floor. Because we gather at one of those times where all minds are on one subject. In thinking about what to say today, there were all sorts of resources that came my way from different parts from the church and from from, from suggestions and from emails and all, all manner of things on the television. I could spend the next while eulogizing Her Majesty and saying lots of nice things about her, but I'm not going to do that, and for three reasons. First of all, I think the BBC may already have it covered, and frankly, their graphics are better than mine. But the second reason is simply this. That's not what a sermon is for. It's not for pointing to any human being, no matter how highly we might think of them. It's for pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third reason is this. I have no doubt that if I were to ask her, if I could ask her, the queen herself would have said to point to Jesus and not to her at a time like this. I'm aware in this time that it's hard, partly because we're grieving for the Queen, but in one sense, very few of us had the privilege of knowing her personally, so that grief is a strange grief. The reality, though, is that when there is a prominent death in our community, it's death itself that becomes unsettling. I know for myself, as I watched in the hours as we waited on the news, the family gathering and wondered when and who they would tell in what order, I was back in my own grief and my own scars of what's happened to us. And I know that I'm not the only one. As we opened the church and people came in and I got the privilege of speaking to folk that came in, almost everyone began to open up about how, as they thought about what was going on, something of their own family's brokenness or life or grief, perhaps for mothers or or grandparents from many years ago, or perhaps something raw was there for them. It reminds us also, I think at a time like this, and it is again unsettling, that nothing is constant. We thought the queen just been there our whole lives, didn't we? And suddenly we're in a new territory. And I I was reminded just of, of what we sang as we came in, where it talks about frail as summer's flowers we perish, blows the wind and it is gone. Does that resonate with us just now? Where everything seems fragile and we suddenly realize nothing is forever. We'll sing it later, the words of our closing hymn, where we sing, Human pride and earthly glory, sword and crown betray His trust. Though with care and toil we build them, tower and temple fall to dust. Uncertainty, particularly at the time we seem to find ourselves in, where we are living with cost of living crises, upheavals in our constitutional positions, 
and changes of prime ministers and wars in Europe yet again. In the midst of all of that turmoil, the Queen always seemed to be a constant. COVID came, and there she was on the television with reassuring words to remind us that things would be all right. And now she's not. And that's unsettling. It's interesting, as you watch all the protocols and royal traditions, I was struck how many of them seemed to be an attempt to tell us that actually nothing had changed, that there was a continuity of government. The king is dead, long live the king, is the attitude that goes on, reminding us that some things are constant. But the trouble with death is it leaves us with this feeling that actually everything is uncertain and nothing is constant. Prince Charles, interesting, I don't know how many folk caught it, when he took all his oaths, he took an oath to preserve the Church of Scotland, which is great. You feel preserved? Some wit on Facebook thought, I don't even think Prince Charles can save the Church of Scotland. Because here's the reality, as much as we see these reassuring things, we're soon going to be back into buildings and presbytery plans and all the rest of it, and all the uncertainty that that gives us. Have we got you depressed now? The Queen was a fixed point in life. But here's the thing. If the Queen was for 70 years a fixed point in our lives, what was the fixed point in her life. And she said it herself, that Jesus was her bedrock. As Jesus said, I will be with you always until the end of the age, steadfast through the storm. You know, in one sense, the Queen's service to us through those years can be seen as an accident product of history, of dynastic struggles, of battles and dynasties long forgotten that brought us to this place. A father's, an uncle's abdication, a father's untimely death that happened to lead to hearth coming to the throne. But the queen always saw it as more than that. She saw it as the calling of God on her life. It's interesting, if you pick up any coin it will have F-D-D-G on it after her name. F-D is Defender of the Faith, but D-G stands for Deo Gratis, Queen by the grace of God. And she had the real sense that God had put her somewhere to do a job. 21, you remember those, well, you won't remember because very few of us were there, but you've seen the news clips about her pledging herself to the nation and to the commonwealth. 26, anointed as a ruler, not just crowned, but anointed, like you do when, you, when you're anointed for a service, or not with oil, but when ministers are ordained or elders are ordained, given a purpose before God. 70 long years she pursued it. And that sense of God's call kept her on her path. But here's the thing. It's not just the queen that has a destiny to be pursued. 
actually every single believer has a destiny to be pursued. God called us in Jesus Christ, says Scripture, for good works that He had foreordained for us, a purpose, a plan for our life, a calling of something to do, whether it's as a fisherman in Galilee or whether it's as a monarch. We are called to Jesus Christ and to His service, and that is what mattered. In our Scottish tradition, and again, royal tradition, it's being said that the queen was regarded as differently. In England, she was the uh, supreme governor of the Church of England, the defender of the faith. But if you hear them talking about her in Scotland, they say she was just an ordinary member of the Church of Scotland, an ordinary member that went to Crathay Church just like you come here. Two things about that. First of all, I've never known any ordinary members in the Church of Scotland. Every one of them is extraordinary. Every one of them has a calling and a purpose and a part to fulfill. And in fact, in our Church of Scotland understanding of the crown, we were very clear. Yes, in the temporal level of the state, the queen was head of state and we owed her allegiance. But in the kingdom of God, she was just an ordinary person or an extraordinary person. But we're all the same. All of us at the foot of the cross are equal. In fact, it was one of the great theologians of the, of the Reformation, um, a chap called Andrew Melville, who once said to James VI, in the kingdom of God, you're just a silly vassal. You're just one of the folk that God has called. You're no one special, whoever you might be in the kingdom of the world. And that matters not to demean the queen, but to say that she knew, like we all know, that we have a calling and a purpose in life, that God wants to use you wherever you are to speak the truth of His gospel and to serve the community around you. How do we do that? Well, what the queen was very clear on is that we have the example of Jesus. Paul says it, in the passage we read from, from Philippians, in all your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. And that means that as we, as we think as Christians of the gospel stories, before we get to the cross and the resurrection, as important as they are, the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how Jesus interacted with people, how Jesus affirmed people, how Jesus loved people, how Jesus served people, how Jesus gave himself and went to the most vulnerable and the most excluded. There is a role model for all Christians that should shape us. John shows it, doesn't he, in that story about feet washing. As Jesus humbles himself and does the thing which is not convenient of washing smelly feet, so he's saying to his followers, as I have done, you should do. So we might hear that there's a community breakfast and we think it's not terribly convenient. I'd rather spend my Saturday morning doing something else. But maybe there's a call. As I have done, so you should do. It will be different for each one of us in where we are called to go. But sometimes in churches, we look for the things, don't we, that suit us that are convenient for us, that fit into our schedule and our idea of what we want to do with our lives. That is not Christian service. Christian service is to look to what Jesus did and to do the same. The queen in her Christmas addresses spoke constantly of this. And you know, here's the thing. Every time the media reported the queen's address, I was always struck how they didn't know what to do with it. 
They talked about the good charity work and the commonwealth stuff, but they never spoke, or they rarely spoke, about the heart of what she said. Here's just a couple of quotes from what she said. To many of us, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework for which I try to live my life. So, like many of you, I've drawn great comfort from Christ's words and example. Or here again in 2002. I think I've got the dates wrong. Never mind. I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is trying to do what is right, to take the long view, to give my best in all of the days that God gives me, to trust in God, and I, grow, I draw great strength and message from the hope of the gospel. Time and time again, she spoke of Jesus. And you know, it, it wasn't just in the things she said, but in the things that she did. And there's so many stories, aren't there, about the way the queen interacted with folk. You know, one of the stories I, I absolutely loved was the story about the time that she invited King Abdullah, or, or, or sorry, Prince Abdullah of Saudi Arabia to come to Balmoral. Now, the prince was running a country in which women have very few rights, and at that time, certainly, they weren't even allowed to drive. Now, the queen wasn't going to be political, because she's not allowed to be political, but what did she do when the prince arrived? She said, shall we go out for a drive? Of course, being a regal prince, he comes to the Land Rover expecting the chauffeur to drive, and he jumps in the front seat, I guess, expecting she'll go in the back. Wow, he got a surprise when the World War II mechanic jumped in the front seat and didn't just drive, but drove off at reckless speed shooting off down the Balmoral and leaving the prince in the back saying, can you concentrate on the road? <laughs> it was interesting, Olivia Coleman, who played her in The Crown, said of the Queen she was the original feminist. We could tell many more stories, but again, I'm just going to put a big footnote and say, see the BBC. But as the years went on, I certainly noticed that she got bolder and bolder in those messages in talking about Jesus. In fact, she got to the point where she wasn't just putting Jesus up as some sort of role model. She was preaching the whole of the gospel. She was saying that Jesus wasn't just an exemplar that makes us do good works, and sometimes our, our, our media and our world wants to reduce Jesus to that. It's just someone that comes, and if we, if we, if we do what He did, then that's good works. But she began more and more to speak of Jesus as a Savior, as the one who came to die and to rise again. And that is the center point of Christian life. That is the difference between somebody who says, well, I follow a Christian ethic, but doesn't really understand the gospel, and those of us that know that God sent Jesus Christ, not just to show us how to live, but He sent Jesus Christ because we couldn't live that way, and that we needed forgiveness, and that we needed salvation and that we needed life after death that could only come as He died on the cross in our place for our sins. And if you thought that the media struggled with the first bit of what I said, they never, ever got that. I remember back in, I think it was about 2012, the Queen's message was so strong. In fact, here's what she said. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves. 
from our recklessness or greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important as they are, but a Savior with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families. It can restore friendships. It can reconcile divided communities. It is forgiveness in which we feel the power of God's love. The last verse of the beautiful little carol, little town of Bethlehem, there's a prayer. O holy, town of Beth, o holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us today, cast out our sin, and enter in, be born in us today. It is my prayer on this Christmas day that we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I remember hearing that on Christmas day and thinking, preach, sister, preach. In fact, so much so that the following Sunday, I didn't give a sermon. I just got a TV screen and played it again. That's the gospel. And what is it if we can find ways in our life, maybe not of preaching sermons, but of finding the opportunities that we are given to share something of that? Maybe you don't get a television interview where you can give an address in your own words, but there's a conversation to have, a friend to share it with, this good news of the gospel that isn't just live a better life and do your best and there's Jesus' example, but actually comes to the brokenness that we know in our lives and said, you need a Savior to take you out of that hole and to give you the promise of everlasting life. And that brings me perhaps onto the last point, which is this. In a day of uncertainty, where we are aware of frailty, we need hope. As we go through the words of the funeral archbishops and others will say them. They will read the rest lessons and they will talk of the faith in Jesus Christ who is the resurrection from the dead, who offers the forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting. And politicians and the, the good rate and the good will be there reciting the words of the creed and all the rest of it, but it will not be heard by most. Millions will hear but few will listen. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you as you watch these things to listen and to pray for all those who hear that their ears might be opened? For that, I believe, would be the legacy that our Queen would want to give to her people. It's interesting that at, the hus at our husband's funeral just months ago, at the end was played the last post. The last post is the evening sound of the trumpet that marks the day being over. But it didn't stop there, did it? For next the trumpet immediately sounds the reveille, which is the sound of the morning, the day that comes and speaks in the context of a funeral to the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In these days, even today, as you turn on the television, the commentators in their black ties will talk of the last journey of Her Majesty from Balmoral to St. Giles, from St. Giles to Westminster, from Westminster to Windsor. 
But friends, we know that that is not the last journey. The last journey, the journey that matters, is the journey to the Father's side when He looks and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And there we rest, and there we wait until that more glorious day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and the dead shall rise and the world shall be made new. And all the promises and all the aspirations for a better world, for a more loving world, for a more clean world, for a world that is redeemed will be met as the King of kings gives crowns to every one of His people in that which is to come. And that is our consolation at times like this, the sure and the certain hope that will never disappoint us. Amen. Let's pray.